This season of What She Did Next is brought to you by Women's Agenda, a daily news publication for women. Going in as a, a woman in my 20s, I actually turned 25, 25 in Kabul. So I celebrated my birthday there. It was really tough. And I think I didn't actually understand the, the trauma that I had witnessed or the trauma I was dealing with until like years later. Welcome to this week's episode of What She Did Next. I'm your host, Jackie Uwe, and I also produce the show. In this series, we talk to women across different industries about a big career or life change they made, how it came about, and where it took them next. The idea of writing a book one day is up there on the bucket list for many of us. But what does it actually take to get published and see your book out in the world? My guest today is Sanaz Fatui, and she's an author, academic, and filmmaker whose own book writing journey began back in her 20s with a life-changing trip to Afghanistan. What she saw on that trip would stay with her forever, and it set her on a path to show the world what was happening for women and children in that country. After returning to Australia, Sanaz co-produced two award-winning documentary films while juggling a PhD in English literature. And on top of that, she was toiling away on a manuscript. She nearly gave up many times over the years, but after a roller coaster of rewrites and rejections, her manuscript won the 2019 Peter Blasey Fellowship, and her book, Love Marriage in Kabul, a Memoir, has now been published and is gracing the shelves of bookstores around the country. I spoke with Sanaz to find out more about her book writing journey, the different facets of her career, and her latest project with Australian charity, Marboba's promise to support and empower women and girls in Afghanistan. She has led an absolutely fascinating life, full of adventure and change, so I'm thrilled to bring you this conversation with Sanaz Fatui. And just a warning that this episode does contain brief mentions of self-harm and suicide, so please consider this before listening, particularly if you might find this triggering. So Sanaz, I wanted to start with your very interesting upbringing because you had quite an adventurous life from quite a young age. So can you start by telling us a bit about your background and what life as a kid looked like for you? Well, I was born in Iran, uh, actually in the midst of the war between Iran and Iraq in the 1980s. And my dad, who used to be a banker when I was 12 years old, he was actually posted to Tokyo, Japan, to be a representative of the, you know, one of the national banks that he worked for in, in Iran. It was interesting because it was meant to be only a two-year posting for him, but a two-year posting turned into four. And then eventually they were looking for somebody to send to another one of their branches in Los Angeles. Uh, so consequently, we moved to Los Angeles and then on to New York. And then eventually we moved into Hong Kong because, uh, you know, so so that one adventure uh, that was meant to be a two year, you know, posting uh, took us a decade. Uh, and nice. of course, you know, that that absolutely formed my my upbringing and uh, yeah, how I was raised. Well, yeah, I imagine moving around as a teenager to so many different countries must have been quite exciting, but maybe a bit challenging as well. I mean, what, what was that experience like of living in so many different countries that were so different to your own? Well, of course, it was really difficult. 
when I was a teenager because who wants to move schools, even countries, you know, because you make friends, you become close to a group of friends and then you have to move. It was really difficult at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But in hindsight and in looking back, I think it really shaped me for who I am today. It gave me a lot of resilience. It gave me a lot of uh, adaptability, you know, so I mm. can, because of having to move from, you know, all these different places, I've learned to adapt and take part in many different social groups, uh, cultural groups. So that's been a, I guess it's been a blessing. Yeah, well, I guess the, the one of the benefits is you end up with a connection to so many countries, right? So I'm sure when if you visit those countries now or if you meet someone from those countries, you you must feel some kind of affinity with them. I do. And it's interesting when I look at my Facebook friends, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got friends here, there, the other place. So uh, there's never a lack of places uh, to stay if we're, uh, yeah. if we're traveling. So. <laughs> And you did know pretty early on that you wanted to be a writer. So where do you think that interest came from? So when I was about eight years old um, in Iran, there was this magazine, little tiny children's magazine, little like newspaper-like print. And one day in school, they told us that we can actually write our little stories for this magazine and post it to them. And I was really excited. So I sat down and wrote a little story five, six line story. Uh, I took my mom to the post office. We put in the envelope, we posted it. And several months later, we see the little story printed in the centerfold of the this little magazine. And this magazine was actually like national. So all the kids all across Iran saw this magazine. And then here it is, my story printed with my name at the bottom. And then soon after I got a letter from the, I guess, editor's, of the of the magazine and then in it the editor said thanks for your story I know that with persistence one day you will be a great writer so keep writing and that was like wow this is great I want to be a writer so something in me ignited and um so it really really was the catalyst was the 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 time where I was like I want to do this and so I pursued it I went to, I did a master's and I did a PhD in English literature. Uh, I worked for about three years as the director of the Asia Pacific Writers and Translators, which is a literary networking organization, which is based, uh, which originated in Hong Kong. And what it is, is it it's, brings together writers, publishers, editors, poets from across the Asia Pacific region. And every year it's held in a different country. And it was just exactly the kind of job that would suit me because, you know, I love traveling. I knew the region really well. Um, So that was a really, really exciting uh, chapter of my life. And in your 20s, you had a couple of experiences that became a real turning point for you. So you moved to Australia with your partner at the time, and he was a filmmaker. And you also made your first trip to Afghanistan, where you ended up making two documentary films over a period of years. I really wanted to ask you about that because Afghanistan is not a country that many of us have been to, particularly here in Australia. So how did you become interested in, in travelling there and what, what drew you to go there? As a teenager, I've always had a, I always had a pull towards Afghanistan 
I, I remember when I used to watch it in on the news, I go, wow, this is a fascinating country. Uh, and I used to dream about traveling there as a journalist because there was a period in my life where I really wanted to be a journalist. But, you know, that's a whole different story. And that didn't work <laughs> out, uh, I think, for the better. Um, and what happened was that um, my dad, uh, soon after the Taliban had left, was actually called up by the bank that he was working for. And they asked him if he was willing to go to Afghanistan to set up a branch uh, in Kabul. Uh, and he had retired and, you know, uh, he wasn't expecting to work anymore. And what happened was that everyone was like, oh, my God, you can't go to Afghanistan. It's crazy. Uh, and part of me was like, yes, this is my opportunity to go to Afghanistan. So I was the one who actually encouraged him to go. Yeah. And soon after he went, my then partner, I mean, Palangi and I, we decided to go visit him. So then that was the beginning of the many trips, the four trips that we made to Afghanistan to make these, what became the films. Mm. Well, I know your mum wasn't particularly happy about you going. You you write about that in your book. Um, and you must have had some reservations, even though you're excited. I mean, how dangerous was it to travel there at that time, and particularly as a young woman? Well, back then in 2006, uh, and again in 2009, it was actually pretty pretty bad because the it's only been a few years that the Taliban had left and there was not a day where on the news there wasn't some kind of a you know a blow up or some kind of an attack or some something in Kabul or anywhere and um, I mean my dad had also lived so he knew what we were facing uh, lived in Afghanistan so he knew what we were facing uh, and you know big hotels were being targeted uh, where there was a lot of foreigners. So there was no knowing if you go there, how are you going to come back? Um, mm. But, you know, I decided that despite, you know, my, my mom's objections, um, that I want to go. So, yeah. yeah, so we did. <laughs> and so was this, was making film something you'd had an interest in before or is that quite a leap for you? Look, I've always had an interest in films as well, but... I guess I learned filmmaking by proxy because, I mean, was also a film student back then. So he would be, you know, doing assignments and learning all these things. And I'll be like very interested and curious that so I would look at him, edit. And, and then, you know, he will help. He will get my help to edit stuff. He'll teach me. He's like, this is how you work things. So I'll help him. Um, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. So, yeah. So it just opened up a whole whole new world for me. And I ended up doing um, on the set of the films that we did in Afghanistan, I ended up doing pretty much everything behind the scenes from like sound recording to light to gaffer to, you know, everything else. So even extra cameras and photography. So it was, mm -hmm. um, yeah, a really great set of skills that I learned. Yeah. You also write in your book that you were particularly struck by the situation for women and girls in Afghanistan. What did you see and learn on those trips that had such a profound impact on you? Well, look, we all know that Afghanistan is and has been for a while one of the worst places for women to be to be living in. And I guess until one gets there, we don't quite understand what that even means, you know. 
Um, so what happened on the first trip was we came across so many different issues and that really made me present to the state of that country and the condition of children, the condition of women. But it was the second trip where we went, which profoundly, profoundly impacted my life because we decided that we want to research and investigate the reason for the increase of women's self-burning as a form of suicide in Afghanistan. So we found out that after the Taliban had left, there had been an increase in the number of women who were setting themselves on fire as, as a form of suicide. And so we were interested to know why. And so we took our cameras. It was just the two of us. And we started to go into hospitals, burn centers, um, to, to social workers and whoever was willing to talk to us really on the street, um, and at various cultural centers to understand the many different reasons behind this action. And, you know, going in as a, a woman in my twenties, in my I actually turned 25, 25 in couple. So I celebrated my birthday there. Uh, wow. it was really tough, you know, and I think I didn't actually understand the, the trauma that I had witnessed or the trauma I was dealing with until like years later, you know, because I, I got back and I just got on with it. Uh, but mm -hmm. I knew that something was not right in me, that it had impacted me immensely and hugely. Well, yeah, I, I was very moved by the part in your book where you talk about, you know, almost feeling like you were living in a void that first year back from Kabul and, you know, you, you say I couldn't even talk about how I felt and what I'd seen. People only wanted to know so much before they stepped out of the conversation. And you also said everyone was busy with things that looked inane to me compared to what I had seen in Afghanistan, their worries seemed unjustified and meaningless. Um, so it obviously had changed your perspective in a big way. I mean, the trauma of seeing what you witnessed with those women must have been very impactful. But, you know, I think having worked in international aid myself, I could relate to that feeling of when you've seen things that are so unfamiliar <laughs> to someone in Australia. It is very hard to, to yeah, process it, I guess, because it's hard to talk to people about it. Um, yeah. But... I mean, you did end up going back to Afghanistan several more times, actually. And in 2014, you you produced a feature documentary with uh, with Amin, your partner at the time, Love Marriage in Kabul, and that went on to become quite a hit. So I wanted to ask what that was experience was like, you know, to have had this award-winning film. Um, you know, our listeners in Australia might have seen it on, on ABC and it also won multiple awards on the, the film festival circuit. So, I mean, given the personal toll that you'd sort of experienced over your your trips to Afghanistan, what what was it like to you know see that connect with so many people? Uh, well, that trip was very different in its feel and its the way it was set out because you know the first trip we just kind of took our cameras and we went, we spoke to everyone and anyone, uh, and the second trip was much more targeted because we actually traveled with Mahbuba Ravi, who runs a charity based in Australia. And we stay at her kind of care center or orphanage, if you want to call it that, uh, in Kabul. So the making of that film really gave me a perspective that I hadn't seen 
into the lives of children this time. You know, the, the first one gave us an insight into the lives of the women, but this one really gave an insight into the lives of these children, you know, and uh, the kind of traumas they deal with, the, their stories. Uh, and to our surprise, Love, Marriage and Kabul touched the hearts of so many people that it went on to win, you know, the... Um, Audience Choice Award at the Sydney Film Festival for Best Documentary on the year it was released. And it won it won numerous awards. It was shortlisted for Walkley in the same year. And everyone who saw it, was who's seen it, has been really touched and moved by it. But at the same time, they are present to the difficulties and the, and the harshness in the background mm. of, of people's lives in Afghanistan. And for those who haven't seen it, can you just give a little explanation of what that film was about? Yeah, so Love, Marriage and Kabul follows the journey of a young boy and a young girl who live in an orphanage as they try to to get married and all the obstacles that they have to go through in order for them to reach their goal. So yeah, the film follows their journey. Well, your new book, which is called Love, Marriage in Kabul, a memoir, is all about the story behind the making of that film. And it does include a lot of the stories of women and children that um, I guess didn't make it into either of your films. You spoke to many people on those trips and there's only so much you can, can put into a film. And I thought it was quite interesting that your book has come out, you know, a number of years later because we do often hear about books being turned into films. But in some ways, it, it happened the other way around for you. So tell us a bit about the book and what prompted you to write it. Well, from the day that we got back from Kabul in 2006, and after we made the, the short film, which is called Hidden Generation, about women self-burning, I knew that there was so much more that I needed to share because the film that cannot possibly capture what I experienced and also some of the stories that we saw um, so I almost felt like I was given a sense of responsibility by some of the women that I met, um, who didn't survive. Actually, unfortunately, they didn't survive, um, when I met them in the hospitals. Uh, so as soon as we got back, I, I was like, I have to write about this. And so I started the writing process as soon as I got back in 2006 and I started you know, getting in touch with publishers, with agents, but I didn't really have a story. And I know that now in hindsight. And so I parked that. And then when we went to Afghanistan again in 2009, then there was the added element of everything else I had now witnessed, which of course didn't make it into the new film either. So <laughs> when we got back, I wrote about that. And and then again, when we went in 2014, uh, 13 to finish off some footage, it was, again, you know, other stuff that didn't make it into the film. So there was a lot that was unsaid and um, not seen in the film. And I just knew I had to share it, you know. And I kept writing and rewriting and persisting. And it took a lot of persistence, a lot of rejections, um, and a lot of actually editing and re-editing for it to get here. 
Mm. Well, I heard you say at your book launch that there's been literally hundreds of drafts of the book <laughs> over many years, which I imagine did come with a lot of ups and downs. So can you just talk a bit more about that process? I mean, who did you have helping you? Did you have an editor on board? How did that work? So the process was um, I just started writing initially, uh, you know, approaching whoever I could and everyone had their feedback uh, and then I'll edit it and go again. And sometimes those people who gave me feedback in the industry were like, oh, this is great, but it's not quite there yet. And I'll go away and, you know, keep editing it. And I did in the first, between the first trip, I just did that on my own. And then when we did the second trip and there was the elements of the second trips, I wrote them. But what happened was that then they read like two different stories because their tones and their, um, kind of sense was very different uh mm. and how who I was was very different from the time I wrote that first first sections and the second sections um so I started again approaching publishers agents and again lots of feedback I took everyone's feedback I wrote it rewrote it and then it almost got published by a, a Melbourne a small Melbourne publisher picked it up and then there was a dispute and we canceled, we canceled the contract, which was a devastating blow because the book was meant to come out in 2000 and, um, I think 18 back then. And it just got canceled. And it was like, Oh my God, here we go again. Um, so I got, of course I did get really upset and I was like, is this worth pursuing? You know, how much more effort can I put into this? <laughs> so I put it aside and I started editing it again. And this time I sent it to new publishers. And then someone told me, oh, you know, I may be interested if you get it professionally edited. So I paid for a professional editor. And then after I was done with it, she, the publisher wasn't interested in it. Oh, no. and, and I was like, okay, all right, this is, that's all right. At least I've got a cleaner draft. Um, again, kept submitting it. Everyone had feedback. I rewrote it, wrote it, rewrote it. Uh, I've lost, I've lost count. Like literally I've lost count how many times I've uh, written and rewritten this manuscript. And what happened, the turning point was actually the, the Peter Blasey award. Uh, so I came across the award and I submitted it and, you know, because I used to submit to so many different things and I actually forget what I submit to. And then one afternoon I get an email saying that I've won the Peter Blasey award. And I was like, Oh, what? oh my God. Like, that is incredible. I totally <laughs> forgotten actually that I put, put this in, <laughs> submitted this. And so that award actually gave the work the recognition that it uh, got today. And the ironic, the interesting thing is that um, at the same time, one of my friends who published with uh, Gazebo Books was like, get on their website, have a look. They may be interested in your work. So I go onto their website and the first thing that I see is Peter Blaze's memoir that they've published. And right. I, I was like, wow, what are the chances of this? So mm -hmm. I wrote him an email saying, look, I've just won this prize and and you guys may be interested in this. Uh, and so, yeah, after many, many attempts and many, many drafts and redrafts, I finally got the book published in 2020. And so I guess, I mean, that's a huge journey. It obviously took a lot of persistence. Looking back now, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons that you learned along the way about becoming a published writer? 
Well, one of the lessons that that became really clear to me is, uh, you know, as a writer, I've always known that writing is rewriting. Uh, so they always say you have to write and then rewrite. And mm. you're like, all right, you know, I get that. But I guess it's just getting that you really need to write and rewrite. <laughs> and yeah. it, take, it may take many, many different drafts for the perfect work to come out. And just persistence, knowing that there is there is also a right audience and a right publisher for for any work. It's just a matter of just keep going and going, well, I'm not aligned with this person, but I, there will be somebody who, who will come along and who will be aligned with my story. Mm. And now that the book is out, I mean, how did you, how did it feel to hold the book in your hand for the first time? It was amazing. It was um, just seeing it in a bookshop was like, wow, a dream, a childhood dream come true because I'd wanted to do this for so long. Um, so it was such a relief and such a milestone in my life. Yeah. And I was curious to know what the life of a writer looks like for you now. So is writing your full-time pursuit or is it something that you do around other work? Well, at the moment, uh, writing has become a nighttime activity because I've, I've got a little <laughs> child. So at the moment, motherhood has become the central uh, mantelpiece of my life. I would like it to be a full-time pursuit in the future, but now it's more like a nocturnal adventure. <laughs> so you've actually worn many hats in your career not only as a writer and filmmaker but as an academic uh, you've been the co-founder of a film festival and you mentioned your role um, a bit earlier as the director of a writers organization um, and I guess on the surface those roles can seem quite varied but do you see a common thread that's kind of run throughout your career? Yes, I think the common thread is my interest in bringing together cross-cultural stories and people of different backgrounds and being someone who is an ambassador for uh, connecting people to each other because with all of those, the common thread is that interest. So, for example, with the Persian Film Festival, that was our, our main objective, to be a bridge between the Iranian Persian culture and Australian culture and viewers uh, and same with Asia Pacific writers and translators all about bringing people of different backgrounds and cultures together um, and even in my academic career where I worked on the literature of the Iranian diaspora that was the whole aim of that project which was to give an understanding of the literature of the Iranian diaspora in English to an audience to a you know a non uh, Iranian audience, yeah. right? Um, and you've also remained very connected to the significant challenges facing women in Afghanistan. So, how are you continuing that that connection and contribution all these years later? Well, uh, I have a very special spot in my heart for Mahbuba Ravi because she is she's an incredible woman and and. From the day I met her, I said, you know, I'm, I, I pledge to help her in whatever way that I can continue to help her. So uh, there's two things that I've been kind of in the making. So one is that I have offered to run uh, workshops for women through Mahbuba's Promise with my mentor. Um, we're going to uh, run 
empowerment and kind of mindset workshops for some of the girls and the women, you know, because there's so many things that I have in my toolbox that I've gathered over the years to deal and regulate with my own mental health and with my own just well-being and being centered. And I take that for granted. And sometimes I go, well, imagine if some of those women who are dealing with with horrendous situations just had some of those tools. So um, the idea is to run, you know, a, a small session, small sessions for these women with simple exercises that they can go away and practice during the day. And then we'll do that for about uh, a few months and we can track how they're doing and how beneficial that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very exciting. And we're going to start those in the, in the new year. And the second objective is been to continue working with Mahbub West Promise to raise funds. So we will have a number of campaigns. We're working through developing a number of campaigns to support various projects that she is running. Oh, that's great. Um, and, yeah, we can include links to Maboba's Promise for people that want to learn a bit more about her incredible work. And so now that the book is out, what what's next for you? Uh, well, I've got a few uh, other projects in the pipelines. Uh, so there's uh, one lurking novel uh, <laughs> that is – has a finished draft but then again you know we know what that means and it, <laughs> it, it means nothing it means that it needs to be written and rewritten again um so yeah i've got a few projects a few writing projects at hand so we're all about women making brave choices on this podcast and you've certainly made some brave leaps in your career and you've chosen quite a unique path in travelling to war-torn countries and, you know, really persisting in bringing those stories to the world. What would you say has been your bravest moment and how did you find the courage to go for it? I guess um, the thing is that I don't really consider some of the stuff that some people see as brave really brave. You know, I just do mm. do what I do. And I guess it comes from me having traveled so much as a child and being moved from so many places to so many places that some things come naturally to me and I just do it. And some people go, oh my God, that is so brave. So I'll give you an example of this is in 2015, after my marriage ended with Amin, I decided that I needed to move from Sydney. So I didn't know anyone in Melbourne. I didn't have a job. I didn't have an income. Uh, knew no one, knew just two people. And I decided that I'm going to move to Melbourne. And and I was talking to someone and she said, oh my God, that is so brave because I wouldn't even go to a function by myself. I was like, (laughs) really? You think that's brave? Um, So yeah, you know, that, I think that was actually one of the, one of the bravest uh, moves I, I've made uh, moving to a city where I didn't know anyone and just setting myself up. Mm. Well, yeah, as you said, I guess your background certainly set you up for that. But it's interesting, isn't it? Like I love asking people that question because, you know, I'm sure a lot of people looking objectively at your story would think you might say going to Afghanistan was the bravest thing you've ever done. But moving to Melbourne topped it for you. (laughs) Well, it did because, you know, going into Afghanistan, there was a structure, there was a, you know, there was something that I knew would end and there was some kind of a support system but moving to Melbourne there was no nothing there was no support there was no one there was just nothing 
So that mm. was, I think, the, the leap into oblivion. <laughs> yes. Well, and you've made it work. Um, and look, you've met and worked with some pretty incredible women over the course of your career. Who are some of the women that you look to and who inspire you? Oh, gosh, there's so many amazing women in my life. Um, well, definitely Mahbuba. Mahbuba Ravi. She's an incredible, amazing woman. Uh, she's a powerhouse. So I, yeah, I always look to her for that resilience and persistence. Um, definitely Virginia Hausiger. She traveled with us to Afghanistan and I got to know her firsthand uh, and her experiences. Mm, and she's a journalist. And she is a journalist. Yeah. And now mm. she's become a, she's become an advocate herself. So she's another powerhouse of a woman. Mm. Um yeah, and I'm working actually with an amazing woman, Ida Sabri. She is my mentor, and she she's an incredible, amazing woman as well. So, mm. yeah. And if there's someone listening out there who's thinking perhaps they'd love to write a book one day, do you have any final tips for them? Um, it is a journey and is a long journey. But the journey of writing is actually not a journey about the, the outcome. I found that the journey is about the journey because who you get to be in the process of writing, I think people forget. You know, we are, we're so focused on the end result, but it takes something. And then in the process, you grow. And I would suggest don't do it alone. Find someone who will advocate you. Find someone who will who will kind of hold your hand and guide you through some other process because it can be a, a lonely path. And mm. sometimes you don't know how you're doing, how you're tracking because there's no one to kind of gauge with. Yeah. 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 I think that's such good advice because I think, yeah, a lot of people get so focused on wanting to have their name up in lights or, you know, or having their work out in the world. But, yeah, really to do a project like that, you need to love what you're doing along the way. So. Yeah, that's great Absolutely. advice. Yeah. And and I think finding your why of writing is also extremely important because as you said, unless you love something and if you don't have a bigger bigger picture why, chances are you stop because I've done that many times. You know, I've got projects where I was like this is interesting and then I write it, I start it and then I lose the traction because I don't have the bigger why. So having that finding that bigger why I find is is extremely important. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Sanaz. Thank you, Jackie. That was Sanaz Fatui, author of Love, Marriage in Kabul, a memoir. It's available now in bookstores around Australia or visit gazebobooks.com.au. We'll put the details in our show notes. If you're enjoying these conversations, it would mean a lot if you could help spread the word. Tell a friend about us, share a link, or leave a nice rating and review. And if you have any questions about today's episode, please feel free to get in touch. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at What She Did Next Podcast. What She Did Next is produced and hosted by me, Jackie Uwe, and we are proud to be a part of the Women's Agenda Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. If this episode has raised any issues for you, help is available. In Australia, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 to access 24-hour crisis support.